Amen. That did my heart good. Did it do your heart good? Others of you just need to get your heart checked up. (laughs) Amen. We are continuing our series from judgment to glory. And we today find ourselves in Ezekiel chapter 8. Ezekiel chapter 8. We're going to uh, cover chapter 8 and 9 if you'll listen quickly. But remember the book of Ezekiel is a... It's a prophetic book, it's in the Old Testament, but it prophesizes about events that were going to happen and are going to happen uh, in the future. And with all the stuff that's going on in the world today, in chapters that we're going to be diving into in a couple of weeks, you're going to see some very interesting parallels between what Ezekiel prophesied about and what we're reading in today's headlines or seeing in today's news. Uh, and again, this goes back to uh, the, the reliability of Scripture and the fact that over a third of this book, one third of this book is prophetic in nature. And many of those prophecies have already been fulfilled. They were not fulfilled at the time that they were written, but since they were written, since they were published, since they were documented, they've now been fulfilled. And we can verify that and we can see that things that the Bible knew were going to happen and they happen, that speaks to the authenticity and reliability that we can trust this. There's still some things in this book that have been prophesied that have not yet been fulfilled, but will be soon and very soon. If you have your copy of God's Word, open it to Ezekiel chapter 8. And stand, if you're physically able, in honor of reading God's Word from Ezekiel chapter 8. It says, In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, I was sitting in my house, and the elders of Judah were sitting in front of me. And there the hand of the Lord God came down on me. And I looked, and there was a form that had the appearance of a man. From what seemed to be his waist down was fire, and from his waist up was something that looked bright like the gleam of amber. He stretched out what appeared to be a hand and took me by the hair of my head, and the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and heaven and carried me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the inner gate that faces north, where the offensive statue that provokes jealousy was located. I saw the glory of God of Israel there like the vision I had seen in the plain. The Lord said to me, Son of man, there's that title that he bestowed upon Ezekiel, Son of man, look toward the north. I looked to the north and there was this offensive statue north of the altar gate at the entrance. He said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing here? more detestable things that the house of Israel is committing so that I must depart from my sanctuary, you will see even more detestable things. Then he brought me to the entrance of the court. And when I looked, there was a hole in the wall. And he said to me, Son of man, dig through the wall. So I dug through the wall and there was a doorway. He said to me, go in and see the terrible and detestable things that they are committing here. 
I went in and looked, and there engraved all around the wall was every form of detestable thing, crawling creatures and beasts, as well as all the idols of the house of Israel. <laughs> Seventy elders from the house of Israel were standing before them, with Jehazaniah, son of Shaphan, standing among them. Each had a fire pan in his hand, and a fragrant cloud of incense was rising up. And then he said to me, Son of man, do you see what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the darkness? Each at the shrine of his idol. These were elders. These were elders. These were people that were supposed to be leading, but in the darkness they were creating an abomination, an absolute idolatry against God. For they are saying, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has abandoned the land. Again, he said to me, you will see even more detestable things which they are committing. So he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the Lord's house, and I saw women sitting there weeping for Tammuz. And he said to me, do you see this, son of man? You will see even more detestable things than these. So he brought me to the inner court of the Lord's house, and there was about 25 men at the entrance of the Lord's temple between the portico and the altar with their backs to the Lord's temple and their faces turned to the east. They were bowing to the east in worship of the sun. And he said to me, do you see this? You can hear the exasperation. Do you see this, son of man? It is not enough for the house of Judah to commit the detestable things they are practicing here, that they must also fill the land with violence and repeatedly provoke me to anger, even putting the branch to their nose. Therefore, I will respond with wrath. I will not show pity or spare them. Though they cry out in my ears with a loud voice, I will not listen. Let us pray. Dear most gracious Heavenly Father, this is a wake-up call. The alarm is being sounded. And people need to get ready. People need to repent. People need to get right. For judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. We see the signs all around us. And God, we can be like that ostrich and bury our head in the sand and, and, and act like it's not going to happen, but that doesn't change reality. That doesn't change the truth. And so, God, I pray that you would bring us to a point of repentance, that you would break our hearts over the detestable things in the land, and that today you would speak to us through the power of your, your Holy Spirit, through the reading of your word, that God, the old, old Testament prophet Isaiah said, my word does not return void. And so when it is proclaimed, when it is preached, it makes a change. It does something in our lives. I pray that we wouldn't just be hearers today, but we would be doers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Ezekiel is sitting in his house with the elders. And he sees a vision. He sees what appears to be a man, the appearance of a man. And this individual is very unique in that from the waist up, he has like a, the gleam of amber. And from the waist down, it was like fire. So anytime in the Bible we see amber, uh, you'll notice that oftentimes it is a reference to the, the holiness or the presence of Almighty God, El Shaddai. It is, uh, amber is like a translucent gold. 
and uh, it gleams and it just has a, an attraction to the eye. And oftentimes in the Bible, when amber is mentioned, it is related to his throne, it is related to the Shekinah glory of God, it is related to his presence. And then fire. He notices that uh, from the waste, the, the fire, the appearance of fire. Fire is another thing that has come to symbolize the holiness of God. Uh, reference, think about Moses. When he looked at that bush that appeared to be on fire and yet it didn't burn up, that fire represented the presence of God. So there's no doubt about it. Ezekiel's in the presence of God. He senses it. He sees this vision and this hand, I want you to think about this, this hand reaches out to him and grabs him by the hair. Now if you've been paying attention or if you've read the book of Ezekiel, you ought to know that prior to this, a couple of chapters ago, Ezekiel cut his hair. And priests don't cut their hair. Ezekiel at one time was a priest turned prophet. But priests don't cut their hair, and yet he, had, he, was, he cut it with a sword. This is sometime after that. Oftentimes, uh, when we're reading a book, not just the Bible, but when you're reading a book, you can't really tell how much time has transpired unless the author tells you, you know, three months of Atah. Um, you don't know how much time, but I can tell you this, there's been enough time for him to grow some hair. <laughs> there's been enough time passed from the previous vision to now. And he's picked up by the hair and he's transported. And it describes where he's at as being between the earth and the heaven so that he could see what is happening in Israel. So that he could not deny so that he would literally see it with his own eyes, the detestable things that they're doing. And he's told time and time again, you see that? Do you see that, son of man? You will see even more detestable things. Now I want to point out a couple of things. First of all, he shows him the temple. And I want you to think about how heartbreaking it is for God Almighty to see what was being done in the temple. The temple represents the presence of God and they are doing detestable practices and bowing to false idols and worshiping false things and they're doing that in the temple. Talk about vulgarity. Talk about being so against God. This would defile not only the temple but it would defile Israel. It would defile the land. After all the blessings that he had bestowed upon them for them to then create these images and these statues, and to worship them in the very temple that you're supposed to be praising God. This would not be tolerated. God says, no more. No more, son of man. I will not put up with this. I will pour out my wrath. I'll show no pity. The wrath of God is about to come down to show them that what they're doing is absolutely detestable. So I want to ask you a question. How long how long will we profane the name of God and not have any consequences? How long will we worship idols? How long will we worship creation instead of the Creator? How long will we turn our back on God before we face the consequences? Calvary Presbyterian, that surprised me, Calvary Presbyterian Church in San Francisco, California, recently hosted a Bible study hour with drag queens. That's California, you say. They're weird. 
That's the land of fruit and nuts. That's California. All right. I'll see that point, but how about this? Cathedral of Hope, Dallas, Texas. Don't mess with Texas. Dallas, Texas, Cathedral of Hope, recently hosted an LGBTQ Appreciation Day and featured drag queens in the middle of their worship service. It's not just California anymore. It's coming to your backyard. It's not just New York City. It's not just them and those. It's right here in front of us. But listen, we can't ignore the, the abuse, the financial improprieties, the bad things that have happened in our churches. We can't just act like it's them and those and it's, it's that people and it's those people. No, no, no. In our own churches, we have had fraud and, and, and all kinds of abusive things or things of abuse that have happened that we can't just sweep under the rug. We, the church, the Baptists, the Catholics, the Pentecostals, all need to be in repentance for the way we have profaned the name of God. And we need to repent on behalf of our churches, on behalf of the things that have happened. And we need to ask God, watch this, to cleanse the temple. I want you to flip over to the New Testament because maybe some of you are sitting here saying, this is Old Testament. This is old stuff. This is wrath of God. Okay, well, would you turn with me then to the New Testament? To 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17. And tell me that this verse doesn't call you to repentance. It doesn't call you to think about God's role and God's hand in the church. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17 says it this way. For the time has come. Turn to your neighbor and say, the time is now. For the time has come for judgment to begin where? I don't know what your translation says, but mine says God's house, God's household here. For the time has begun for judgment to start here. Amen. That means that we need to get right. That means that we need to be repenting. That means that we need to recognize that judgment is coming and it comes first to the house of the Lord. It comes first to us. We're not, we're not immune. <laughs> Spring is in the air. That's a good song. Spring is in the air. Uh, and when spring comes sometimes, uh, we do what we call spring cleaning, right? In fact, in the church, we're going to have, um, we're going to do a garage sale, a church-wide garage sale. You might have some stuff when you're doing your spring cleaning that you'd be willing to donate to the church uh, so that we can use the proceeds from that uh, to help the church and, and the ministries. Uh, but you'll, uh, you'll hear more about that maybe in April or May. But when you're doing this spring cleaning, you know, spring is that time where we decide to finally you know, sweep off the patio and get rid of the fall leaves that have accumulated or what have you. And this time of year is kind of conducive to cleaning up. And so as you're doing that, don't neglect the spiritual. Don't neglect doing some spiritual cleaning. 
some spiritual house cleaning. To think about, is there anything in your home? Is there anything in your life? Is there anything going on that is hindering, that is dirtying up, that is messing up, that needs to be booted out, evicted, or cleaned? Judgment begins with the house of the Lord. We need to get our house clean in preparation for what's about to happen. That means in these last days, we need to be diligent and we need to be extra careful that the church is not trying to look more like the world. <laughs> the church is supposed to be different from the world. Amen. And yet we see all these churches, not just in California, not just in Texas, but all around that are looking more and more like a concert, that are looking more and more like the, the world and are no longer preaching from this, or no longer singing songs about the blood, or about sin. Because why? Because it's not politically correct? Because it offends? Because it's not conducive to snowflakes coming to church? We need to get ready because judgment is coming. And the bride of Christ is to be unblemished. Oh, turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 9. Ezekiel chapter 9. Then he called to me directly with a loud voice, Come near, executioners of the city, each of you with a destructive weapon in his hand. And I saw six men coming from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with a war club in his hand. They came to do battle. They came to clean it up. This is a wrecking crew, ladies and gentlemen. And there was another man among them, clothed in linen, with riding equipment at his side. They came and stood beside the bronze altar. If you know anything about the tabernacle period or the temple period, you ought to know about that bronze altar and the significance that it played in the temple. And they came and stood there beside that bronze altar. Then the glory of the God of Israel rose from above the cherub where it had been to the threshold of the temple. He called to the man clothed in linen with the riding equipment at his side. Pass throughout the city of Jerusalem, the Lord said to him, and put a mark, put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the detestable practices in it. So I want to ask you right there. When was the last time you sighed or groaned about the headlines you read or about the people that you are exposed to at work or the things and the conversations and the filth and all of that. Hey, when was the last time that it made you sigh or groan? Because those who sighed and groaned, those who said, I don't like that, those who said, that's wrong, those who said, hey, wrong is wrong and right is right, they would be marked. Now, I understand that a lot of times in the Bible, to be marked is seen in the negative connotation. When Cain was marked in Genesis, we see that as a negative in the book of Revelation, when it says the mark of the beast, we see that as a negative connotation. But in this case, the mark is like, watch this, the blood of the Lamb that marked those who were of God that the angel of death would pass over. To be marked is not always a bad thing. And in this context, and in the context of Passover, to be marked meant you were saved. 
to be marked meant you were preserved, you were protected. So here's what I want to ask you. Would any of you have a mark? Would there be enough? Hey, if you were to get indicted by Fanny Willis for being a Christian, and she had time away from her boyfriend to prosecute you, uh, would there be enough evidence to say that you were a Christian? Because it's a preponderance of the evidence in a court of law. We still have due process. You may not think so when you see some of the things that the Justice Department of Justice is doing. But at the same rate, we still have due process. We still have equal protection under the law. And so I want to ask you, if some district attorney were to come along and say, I'm indicting you for being a Christian, would there even be enough evidence in your life, in your language? If your co-workers were called to testify, would they get up in the stand and say, I didn't know she was a Christian? The jokes he tells, I don't think he's a Christian. The way he talks about his wife, I don't think he's a Christian. Oh, he done went to meddling now. But seriously, would you be marked? Because in the context of Ezekiel, the mark was a wonderful thing. He told the man that had the writing utensil, go throughout Jerusalem and find those who sigh and groan and put the mark on them. He spoke as I listened to the others. Verse 5, pass through the city after him and start killing. So he tells the others who have the club, wrecking crew, go wreck it. Just don't do anything to the ones who are marked. Slaughter the old men, the young men, the young men, the women, as well as the older women and little children, but do not come near anyone who has the mark. Now begin at my sanctuary. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. First Peter 4 17. Judgment begins at the house of the Lord. It's right here as well. Ezekiel chapter 9. Now begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were in front of the temple. Then he said to them, defile the temple and fill the courts with the slain. Go. So they went out killing people in the city. While they were killing, I was left alone and I fell face down and cried. I cried out, oh Lord God, are you going to destroy the entire remnant of Israel when you pour out your wrath on Jerusalem? He answered me, the iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is extremely great. The land is full of bloodshed and the city full of perversity. Does that not sound like today? For they say the Lord has abandoned the land. Y'all remember the Time, excuse me, yeah, Time or Life magazine with a headline, God is dead. They say the Lord has abandoned the land. He does not see. But as for me, I will not show pity or spare them. I will bring their actions down on their own heads. Then the man clothed in linen with the writing equipment at his side reported back, I have done as you have commanded me. I want everybody in here. You know, I've, I've been here eight years, and uh, this is only counting church members. This doesn't count guests. This doesn't count friends or connections that may have been to Beulah Land. Beulah Land members, I have preached 17 funerals in the eight years that I've been here for members of Beulah Land Baptist Church. In eight years. Now when I went and counted, it gets up to about 30 of people that had like a loose connection to Beulah Land. They weren't members, but they had maybe a family connection or some kind. That's just in eight years, ladies and gentlemen. 
Now, why would I bring that up? Because of this right here. I want you to live in such a way that like at yesterday's funeral, there's no doubt, no doubt where he is because of his personal relationship with the Lord. I want you to live in such a way where there's nobody at your funeral that says, well, I think they were a Christian. I sure hope they're in heaven. I have unfortunately had to preach those funerals before. That's tough. In a book entitled Down to Earth, John Lawrence tells the story of a city that dared to show, uh, that dared God to show himself, and they paid a terrible price. It's the city of Messina, Sicily. If you were looking at a map of Italy and you look at the toe, the boot, the boot of Italy. Louisiana has a boot. Well, Italy's boot's a lot bigger than ours. Uh, if you look at the toe of the boot and get down to the Sicily region, there's a little place called Messina. Messina was home to many wicked and irreligious people. And believe it or not, on Christmas Day in 1908, Christmas Day, they decided, hey, we don't have anything else to report. It's 1908. Let's talk about how stupid the Christmas story is. And so in that article in the Messina Press paper of 1908, published and put out on December 25th, it mocked that birth in Bethlehem. And it mocked Jesus Christ. And that newspaper dared God to make Himself known. And even jokingly, jokingly, fact check me, jokingly said, send an earthquake. Three days later, on December the 28th of 1908, the city of Messina was absolutely devastated and destroyed by a 7.1 earthquake that killed 84,000 people. That's more than the city of Bossier City. 84,000 people, 90% of buildings in Messina were totally destroyed. They mocked God. And they paid the consequences. You say, well, well, I've never mocked God. What about when you use His name in vain? What about when He tells you to stop doing something and you continue to do it? What about when He tells you to start doing something and you never get around to it? Is that not mocking God? Oh, you say, I'd never publish or print a newspaper daring God or mocking God, but you do understand disobedience is mocking God because it is telling God Almighty Himself. Though He is all-powerful, though He is all-knowing, though He is all-seeing, it is saying to that God when you disobey Him, I don't care. And it is saying, I don't believe. When you disobey, you are mocking God. So when I tell you that judgment is coming, judgment's coming. We need to get our house in order. We need to do some spring cleaning. We need to get on our face before God Almighty and say, God, cleanse me. Forgive me. Forgive me for, for, for being that person that, that has allowed my guard to be down and has allowed myself to... Uh, to tell those jokes or to be that way. And, and God, I, I want to live in such a way where nobody doubts where I'm going to spend eternity. And God, I, 
I ask for your forgiveness and I repent of not doing what you told me clearly to do. And God, I repent of not stopping doing that when you clearly showed me, hey, don't do that, don't do that. It's time to get clean. It's time to get ready. Judgment is coming. Let's pray.